church constitution for the text of the Bible, but uh, we are updating and trying to go through and correct uh, spelling and and errors. So what we're going to do over the next Sunday, uh, several Sunday nights, is just go through uh, our church constitution, article uh, by article and point by point. And uh, many times we don't get to um, um, just spend time on each one of these things. I, I think is uh, last Sunday night we went through the reason why uh, our church has the name that it does, Open Door Bible Baptist Church, and the purpose of the church, and all of those things. Again, our Constitution is just a summary statement so that... Um, when um, the government, the state of New York, they want to have one of these, when we, um, uh, they are trying to find out who and what we are, this is the document that we use. And, and we explain certain things about how our church operates, and we'll be going through all of those things in the next coming weeks. And uh, by the way, what you believe and what you practice is your doctrine. And that's all that God has given us. Uh, we have to have a testimony with the world, and therefore uh, what we have chosen to do is put this together. And by the way, if you think this is a new thing, it is not. Uh, confessions of faith have been written ever since there has been a churches to write them. Because, Well, in the earliest times it really wasn't... Um, it's kind of... Uh, let me back up a little bit. In the earliest of times... Most of the apostles and disciples and members of the first churches were a little too busy staying alive or trying to stay alive. Then they could sit down and write out these great big long papers like we have today. We ought to thank God for the freedom that we have that we can sit down and even do these things. And uh, by the way, if you uh, wonder about the claims of the Roman Catholic Church going all the way back to the Apostle Peter. Again, I substitute that same bit of information. If somebody stood up at the Church of Rome and said, I'm the Pope of all the Christian churches, I mean, it didn't take them long to find that person and drag them to the arena and feed them to the animals or whatever other things that they were doing. So just don't believe the history. It's just not there. Uh, there was not a central controlling agency. There was none of that stuff going on until after Constantine, the first emperor, gave, quote-unquote, freedom to the Christians. And, and by the way, the freedom that Emperor Constantine provided was simply this, as long as you agree with me, we're fine. If you don't, and by the way, he did reserve the personal right to solve all doctrinal disputes at the first conference that he called to get unified doctrine. And that's the beginning of what became the Orthodox and later on the Roman Catholic Church. And guess where our forefathers were? As always, they were standing on the outside looking in uh, because Caesar has no right to tell the church what to believe. That comes from the church in the Bible. And by the way, as we get through this tonight, if it's not written down, don't believe it. Amen? So let's pray as we get started in this tonight. Dear Heavenly Father, just pray that it would not make our time here tonight tedious, but Lord, that we would be very careful to understand how important these things are 
And Lord, that you would give clarity of expression. And Lord, that we would uh, in no way glorify the document of our own making, but glorify you and your word and the church that you have given us to serve you in. In your name we pray. Amen. All right. Um, if you are uh, a member uh, of the church and you did not bring your constitution with you, we have a few, but we can't give them out new every week for the next several months uh, because what we're doing is we're just giving out... Uh, these are the um, uh, prototype or whatever you want to call it, the pre-pressed copy, and so we're making notes and things like that. But if you do need a copy or something, uh, wave your hand there and Brother Mike will get you one. If you've not received one, uh, we want you to have one of these. I, I think we have enough for every family in the church. And if, by the way, if you're here by yourself, that constitutes as a family, so make sure you get one there. And uh, the first, uh, Article 2, is our Confession of Faith and Covenant. Now, the Confession of Faith is just simply a statement of this is what we believe. And uh, we start off with the Bible, what our church believes about the Bible. In fact, I just had a discussion with someone who's attending another church here in town, and I said, uh, you know, um, they were actually uh, uh, technically still a member of our church, and said, well, I want to go over to this other church. It's more convenient. I said, well, they believe differently about the Bible than we do. He said, well, how am I supposed to know that? And as we began to go through, I said, well, the part of the problem is most churches that you go to today the pastor and the church have decided that they don't need to do what we're doing right now and that we'll just agree to disagree and we'll all get along and we won't make big issues of things. And I just can't find that in the Scripture. Uh, you either believe something or you don't. Um, I remember in Bible college being challenged on the issue of the Bible. He says, I believe they're all the Word of God said, I've only got one problem. He said, what's that? How can things that say something different be the same? Amen. I mean, how do you get past that? If this verse doesn't belong in the Bible, does it belong in the Bible? Uh, you can't just sit around there because everything that we have, everything we know about God comes from this book. The only thing you can know about God, aside from what's written down in the Scripture, read Romans chapter 1, is the fact that God exists. Look at the universe. Anyone with a lick of sense, if you haven't been to college and trained to be stupid, you have to admit that there is a creator to the universe in which we live. It's just impossible. Uh, you have to practice. You have to be taught to be that ignorant. It's purposeful. The Bible says... For this they are willingly ignorant. And just so that nobody has any questions, we define the Bible as the 66 books, Old and New Testament, of our King James Bible, otherwise known as the Common Version or the Authorized 1611. I'm just reading from the Constitution here. We believe the Bible is the preserved Word of God. Now, I've had different people want to argue, do you believe the King James is inspired? God inspired only the originals. That is exactly correct. God inspired the Apostle Paul as he wrote down. God inspired uh, David as he wrote the Psalms and Moses. 
But let me ask you a question. If you translate an inspired word, doesn't the inspiration go with the translation? Boy, it got quiet in here. Am I in the right church? If you take an inspired word and translate it and honestly and carefully bring that language into another language, does not the preservation and the inspiration go right along with it? I believe that it does. I don't think that's a far uh, illogical leap into uh, nothing. I mean, we believe, faith is believing things you cannot see. Now, if you want... We can go back and I'll get my notes out. I still have them on the 14 or so weeks that we spent on the history of our Bible. How many remember that series? I mean, everybody is looking at me like, oh, pastor, are you going to do this to us again? Yeah, uh, because we're going to get the nitty-gritty details. We're going to pull everything out. Uh, I don't mind uh, digging deep, but I don't think we need to do that to understand that when you take a preserved word and translate it, the preservation goes along with it. The inspiration goes along with it. I believe that I hold in my hand the preserved, inspired word of God for English-speaking people. By the way, if English is not your first language, we'll try to find a translation that will help you in your mother tongue. Now, the... Um, um, just let me give you one example of this. They say, those that have studied this and spend their whole life doing nothing but studying things, that there's a contradiction between the Spanish Reign of Valera version and the King James over the issue of David's appearance. Uh, in the King James Bible, it says that David was ruddy. And if you look that word up, it means red. Now, if you take out a Spanish Reign of Valera, it, I cannot give you the exact Spanish word because I don't speak that language, but I know what it means. It means blonde, fair. Now, here's the idea here. David was a beautiful young man and he was full of life. If you are pasty white from the north regions, you have a little color in your cheeks, what do we say? Red. If you are darker and tan from the southern regions, when somebody looks really healthy, what do we say? They're fair. They kind of glow with life. It's saying the same thing. It's just understood differently between the two languages. Don't get caught up in the battle over words when that battle over words will not make a difference in how you live. So... We believe that the manuscripts from which the King James Bible came from, the, the Greek, it's called the Textus Receptus, the Received Text, and the Masoretic Text. These are the true uh, copies. And if you'll remember as we went through, let me just give you a little bit of detail here. There is no one copy of the uh, Hebrew text or of the... Um, uh, of the Greek text that is without any error whatsoever because when people copy things, they make mistakes. How many of you would like to have to copy out your own copy of the Bible by hand? Most of you would come to the point, well, I'll do without. That's too much work. 
but before the printing press and even uh, generations after the printing press. It was so expensive to own a book that you just couldn't do it. But if we take all those manuscripts and compare them, there is not room for variation of one real word in the Bible. And so the authority is all Scripture, 2 Timothy 3.16, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. God has promised to preserve His Word. We've got a whole paragraph in that. And again, if you'll remember back when we spent those 14 weeks, the issue is not, uh, don't get caught up in comparing your King James Bible with your NIV Bible. The NIV is a translation of different manuscripts from which your King James Bible came from. That's where the main issue is. And, of course, the NIV translators take it a step further. They believe in a non-literal method of translation, and that's why we reject it as a spurious Bible at best. And some of the things that they've put in these new Bibles are blasphemous. How many of you have ever heard of the New Century Version? Uh, that is one that... Uh, if you remember Pat Robertson, he was, had a real big part in trying to... It's interesting how many people have tried to make money out of translations of the Bible. Uh, someone said, what about the New King James Version? Well, I was in Bible college when that came out. And uh, we jokingly referred to it as the New King Jerry Version because without Jerry Falwell, that thing never would have went into, came into print and here's the dirty little secret. He wanted to use the money from the publishing of this Bible to finance his college. But he couldn't make a red cent off of it. So finally he sold out to Nelson Publishers for whatever he could, and they've made a million bucks ever since. Dr. Falwell knew better. You don't mess with the Bible. You keep either you're the God of the book, or this book is the book of God, one of the two. You can't have both. Now, when we talk about interpreting or understanding the Bible, if you like nice big words, we use the, uh, the word hermeneutics. And if you've ever been to Bible college, he usually shows up on the attendance sheet, hermeneutics. And uh, wait until the professor catches it and marks you down for it. But... Uh, well, you guys aren't very laughable tonight. You had to be there. It was quite funny watching the assignment. She'd go around with all these different names on there. And, uh, but w when we talk about interpreting paragraph 3, the interpretation of the Bible, we accept no other method of interpretation than the literal contextual method. And we do not believe in any other method of interpretation. And we have several of them listed here. Arminianism, Calvinism, al um, I'm going to pronounce this wrong. Yes, allegorism, traditionalism, rationalism, humanism, and any other method or system not mentioned here. 
When we talk about a literal understanding, and we spend several paragraphs here describing this, and we're just going to go through, is number one, contextual. Each verse must be interpreted in the context of the verses that are directly around it. And each section must then be interpreted in the context of the chapters and book in which it's found. And in turn, each interpretation must be made subject to the whole of the Bible. You see, there is no such thing as a contradiction in Scripture. Therefore, if your understanding of one passage contradicts another passage, you have the wrong understanding. And you've got to go back to the drawing board and go over it again until you come to a proper understanding of Scripture. Let me just give you one example. When Jesus was giving the, what they call the Olivet Discourse, he said twice in that, he that endureth to the end shall be saved. Now the Arminians love that verse. You see, that means unless you endure to the end, you can lose your salvation. That's one of the key points. By the way, if you want to know who the Arminians are today, it is the non-charismatic um, evangelicals, the Nazarenes, the Methodist, uh, Christian and Missionary Alliance. Uh, those are just some examples of, of people who accept that you can lose your salvation. Most charismatic will fall under that as well. And here's the simple truth of the matter is, Jesus said, I give unto them eternal life. Well, eternal life and enduring to the end contradict each other, do they not? No. You've got to understand properly. You endure to the end because you have eternal life, not in order to get it. Do you see the reconciliation there of Scripture? This is what we mean by contextually keeping it in the context of the entire Bible. Uh, we believe in grammar around here, even if I want to do use distinctive as a noun, Brother Franz, uh, and we'll continue doing so. But the, the simple truth of the matter is we believe in grammar that there is something to word order. When words are put in order, it takes a lawyer to take the meaning out of those words or a politician. God never designed language to be that way. When you say something, it means something or it should. And so when we look at our Bible, it's not that it's supposed to be interpreted as any other book. Because this is not any other book. This is God's Word. But could we not give this book the same reverence we give the New York Times? Or your computer manuals or anything else? I mean, I've never heard of anyone, and I use this example excessively. My dad was a machinist. He used to grind pieces of metal down to the tolerances of thousandths of an inch. By the way, the paper that makes up your uh, thing here tonight is about seven to eight thousandths of an inch thick. And my dad was often working with one and two thousandths of an inch tolerance. And sometimes even into ten thousandths of an inch. I mean, it's amazing stuff. He said, don't do this. Don't be a machinist. Be something else. And, uh, but, you know, I've never known a machinist to look at a set of blueprints and say, that's not really what it means. Let me see if I can find the hidden meaning in there somewhere. Because if he does, the part's not going to fit. You've got to follow what's written down. 
And I often will take people to one verse when they talk about this non-literal interpretation. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Could you interpret that for me? What does the word all mean? Does that exclude the Pope? No, it doesn't exclude anybody. All means all have sinned. What does that mean? Broken God's law, amen? And come short of the glory of God. You're not as good as God is. Would anybody disagree with that? How do you interpret that? You don't. You understand it and you agree with it. Amen. Excuse me. And so we believe in a contextual, grammatical, historical, and cultural. Now that gets a little strange there sometimes in people's minds. But let me give you an example. Jesus gives a story of two people. One person owed a hundred pence to his fellow servant. His fellow servant owed 10,000 talents to the Lord or the master of the estate. Now, we would look up that word pence and it means penny. So he owed a dollar. Big deal. Wrong. Read in the other story when the man went out to hire laborers into the vineyard. What was the day's wages? Agreed at the first group, agreed every man for a what? Penny. Well, therefore, a penny is a day's wages. Okay, how much money do you make in a day? If you make $10 an hour, 10 times 8, that's $80 a day. Most common laborers in the construction industry, between $100 and $150 a day. And if you work on Wall Street, you don't figure it out by days. But anyway, uh, a talent was made up of 116 Roman pennies. You can find that in any good Bible encyclopedia. So what we now have is we have a man owing 100 days wages versus a man that owes 1.16 million days wages. Does that put the story in context? You see, that's understanding it in its historical setting. A penny is not a penny today. A penny we laugh at, it's worthless. We say it won't do anything. And by the way, the widow's mite, that she had two mites that make a farthing, uh, we still haven't gotten to the equivalent of a penny. Uh, even in today's standards. I mean, that was, that was less than nothing. And so... We must understand the historical, the cultural setting in which the story was recorded. And that takes a little bit of effort. Then we believe in a dispensational approach. Now, what we mean by that is that God worked different ways in different time periods through the Bible. Now, we could, and we have, and maybe we need to get out and spend uh, another set of Thursday nights on dispensationalism because it's a very uh, difficult subject to understand sometimes. No, people did not get saved different ways in different time periods. Salvation has always been the same. By grace, 
through faith. But faith is obedience to the revealed will of God. 